You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Jaybird Watching. I am Craig Borden here with my co-host, Brendan Panikar. How's it going, my friend? Good, buddy. Not so good in the uh, game right now. I think everybody could predicted that Clayton Richard against the Yankee lineup at Yankee Stadium isn't a recipe for success, but, eh, it is what it is. Last night became a little I, interesting. I... <laughs> so, there's always that. <laughs> Um, but Brendan, yeah, we got a special guest with us here tonight that um, I'm going to let you introduce because he's such a good friend of mine. Yeah, and uh, Corsair, welcome back to Bayward Watching, buddy. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. And you know, it's, it's more like welcome back to the land of Blue Jays, right? Because Raptors have been taking over my life, and it's really, it's really uh, nice to have a nice little refresher and to be able to talk Blue Jays. It's been a while. Yeah, man, I hear you. And obviously, as you know, me being up here, just how crazy it's been. I still don't think in probably the entire summer until they tip off again, it's always going to be Raptors in the news. And especially with Kawhi's decision coming up in the next little while, too, eh? It's, uh, it's going to be one of those things that people are going to be watching very closely. And it's uh, giving a lot, of, um, a lot of sports talk shows, I'm sure you know, uh, some content to talk about it's actually it's really good for the city though i must say it is it absolutely is but yeah it's good to have you back talking blue jays trying to get this podcast continued to have uh, listeners over the last little while with the raptors running and everything i would say it has been a little difficult craig but at the same time i think we've done pretty well in terms of being able to get some blue jays content out there in the midst of all the raptors fun yeah well we've definitely had more interaction on twitter and whatnot and it's been fun even in the midst of what has been obviously already a lost season, but there's enough going on with this team that we're going to obviously talk about tonight because, you know, that's the whole, you know, Jaybird watching thing. We're not tower watching or <laughs> something else like that going on in Toronto. But I think even Adam can attest to that. You know, obviously his Raptors podcast has to be, you got to be pulling record numbers right now, my friend, aren't you? It is. Uh, let's just say that this past season was very good to me. 
in terms of uh, people people listening and the uh, the interactions I've had with people on Twitter. Likewise, um, it is it is definitely opened up a, a boatload of interest amongst people that probably, or it's, you know maybe not probably, but some of them weren't uh, Raptors fans to begin with. And it's great how a championship run can really bring some interest to another sport and really bring people in the not just the city, but in the country closer together. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah, I, my favorite my favorite thing about that entire run is how many people that we probably all follow mutually all die hard, always tweeting about Blue Jays, no matter what the score is, they're always watching. But when the Raptors were still playing and they were going through their run, more and more people on Blue Jays Twitter was like, yeah, screw the Jays, we're going to be watching the Raptors. So it definitely pulled everybody together. It was nice to see. You all got me watching, and I hate basketball. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, you don't really have a basketball team overly close to you other than Toronto, right? No team in Buffalo. I mean, you got college hoops, I guess, in, in Syracuse, but that's about it. Yeah, that's pretty much it here in Rochester, New York. We're very very out of uh, Syracuse Orangemen fans, and seeing they're usually in the conversation for the Final Four, I definitely watch more college basketball than I've watched NBA since Jordan retired a million years ago. So kind of haven't really cared, but all of a sudden having obvious, for the obvious love I have for the city of Toronto, there was a, I couldn't help but get infected a little bit. And obviously this watching the parade and everything on uh, online and whatnot, it's infectious. It's a great thing, and we can only hope that that same kind of uh, celebration is in the Blue Jays' near future. I hope so. But yeah, I think the one thing with that Raptors run, just to kind of put a bow on all that, is I would never say I've been a diehard the last few years. I definitely was years ago, but my fandom definitely was toned down the last few years with the Blue Jays and how good they've been, but just also getting more in-depth with the stats and stuff. But I can tell you right now that once the season starts again next year, they brought me back to a, a higher level of fandom than I was at going into last year. So it's going to be fun. I'm thinking a meeting with all of us in Jurassic Park sounds like right up our alley. I know Adam's already packing his bags. <laughs> I actually um, I have uh, plans to go up there in October for the start of the season um, to have a, a, a couple of face-to-face podcasts for the show. So, um, I mean, that's, that's a while ahead. But, look, it, it's, as Brendan said, to put a bow on it, it's, it's crazy for me to think about how, you know, I'm sure it's the same with the three of us that, when you think of the three major sports in uh, Toronto, and this is no disrespect to TF Blue, but come on, the three major sports teams are the Blue Jays, <laughs> the Maple Leafs, the Raptors, right? And although TFC won a championship, I'm sure it wasn't nearly as crazy as the Raptors championship parade. Um, but having those three teams, no one would have guessed that the Raptors would have been the first team to win a championship out of those three, three teams. No one. And it's great to see this, this redheaded stepchild in Toronto really come out and claim its place in Toronto sports supremacy. And so ha- this is going to be infectious. I'm telling you, it's going to be infectious amongst both of those two other two major sports teams with the Blue Jays and the Maple Leafs because they're going to see the success and they're going to say, oh, man, this city is thirsty for championships. There's money to be made. We need to expedite this process as soon as possible. Yeah, it's only going to pick up, and um, I guess that's a decent place to start off, Adam, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Future Blue Jays are very, very prevalent on display in New Hampshire with the Fisher Cats as they have, what was it, five All-Stars going to the Eastern League? I am trying to pull it up. I was going to mix that into the show later. 
I'm going to pull it up too. I forgot. I think it's four. I know Forrest Wall was in there. I think Espinal, and I'm blanking on the other two, but we'll have to pull that up and fact check. <laughs> so, but either way, Brendan, you and I, had, and I think Adam might have been on that show too, where we had mentioned that Santiago Espinal was rated on MLB.com as a possible breakout candidate in all of minor league baseball. Been on full display, yeah. playing very, very well this year, and. If it weren't for Forrest Wall, he'd be leading most of these offensive categories on the New Hampshire Fisher Cats leaderboard. So, yeah, I mean, right away seeing Forrest Wall up there, in terms of how bare the outfield, the state of the outfield is in the minor league system, and to a point in the major league system. I mean, now I'm sure we'll get into Lourdes Goriel a little bit more in terms of how he seems to have walked down left field for the next, or for the rest of this year, and hopefully in years to come, but. Seeing Forrest Wall, the guy they got for Sung Wan O, along with Corey Spangenberg, it's great to see him be an all-star because they need somebody in their system to really step up, especially in the outfield, to start putting themselves on the map for potential promotions to Buffalo and then eventually in the big league level. So the fact that Forrest Wall is an all-star definitely brings a smile to my face. And the other two guys on top of Espinal and Wall was Zach Logue, the pitcher, which is also exciting in Nash Knight. So there you go. Those are the four. Adam, you, yeah, it's, um, uh, I'm sorry. Good. Go ahead. I, I was just going to oh, lead you in. <laughs> um, I was going to say, it's, it's really uh, solid to see some outfield prospects, and I don't want to use that term, you know, like, you know just to, to, to downplay the, the talent that they have, but this is an area of need that the Blue Jays have right now behind starting pitching in their system, right? And, it, and it's sort of glaring in the major league ready, major league system right now, so if these kids can continue to prosper as they are, this is go- it's probably going to be a sooner rather than later scenario that you're going to see them in the big leagues. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you're going to see some of these kids come up in September just to test the waters and to see what they have because that's the name of the game this year, right? That's what Atkins have said. It's, it's who can hang in the big leagues and who can't. And I think they're, uh, once the rosters can be expanded, they're probably going to dip their toes in and see because this is, like I said, this is a glaring area of need that the Blue Jays really need to figure out. Yeah, out of that group you were just mentioning, Brendan, Zach Logue is very, very intriguing. And um, this is a guy that was in <laughs> in single A last year. He was with the Lansing Lugnuts for a lot of the year and finally put some stuff together between Lansing and Dunedin last season. He's been very impressive. He's only had one start at the Buffalo level, but he's been very impressive in double-A with a 3.75 ERA over 81 and two-thirds innings. Guys, this is a guy that's sneaking up. You know, he's going to be in Buffalo sooner rather than later probably because of the pitching depth. You know, he's right in that ballpark in that conversation with, you know, TJ Zoik and company all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I think you're starting to see the next wave of uh, Blue Jays' potential starters in the future starting to come together. And they're going to have to figure that out from the trade deadline, especially when they have to think about trading of Marcus Stroman, which we'll probably get into later. But you see Zach Logue putting things together, Nate Pearson, even though he's on the injured list, still needs a seven-day. He should be good to go for his next start, from what I heard. And then you got Yancy Diaz and Patrick Murphy. You got those guys down in double-A who will start forcing their way up to triple-A. And it won't be too long before and probably maybe as soon as next year for a few of those guys where they start getting looks in the big league level. And if they can cement themselves as legit starters, then this rotation could start to take shape for 2021 and 2022 a lot quicker than people would have probably would have thought. 
Adam, who, out of that group, who do you think makes it to the majors first? Are we including Pearson? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm thinking Pearson. I, I just, his stuff is just so good. And I, I know I said that the outfield is a glaring area of need for the Blue Jays, but the pitching, I, I would argue, is just as dire, if not more. Um, I, I do think that the, his time is going to come sooner rather than later. And it might be, uh, it might feel a little bit rushed, but at the same time, uh, what other choices they have? I, I don't see the Blue Jays going out and spending big on pitching. And if, if they have a solid arm in their system that is just cruising, um, they they have to bring him up and see what he's got. Yeah, and I think those guys are the guys that are definitely going to be on that short list of guys that might make the uh, September, August area, whatnot, in the rotation or at least in the bullpen. I don't know if you guys saw the headline, uh, but apparently Patrick Murphy has had been forced to take a step back. Apparently he's got something funky going on with his delivery that is technically illegal. I don't remember seeing anything he's doing as far as a illegal throw, but was somebody I was doing really well to begin this season, and you know, he's kind of putting around the middle. But he's on the forty-man roster. I was kind of expecting to see him some point this season in Toronto. Yeah, I didn't see that actually, so I'm gonna have to look into that after we hop off. But I think what you're starting to see too, and even at the big league level, you got guys. I know Ryan Barucki hasn't pitched all yet this year, coming back from his injury, but. When you look at the state of the 2020 rotation and how that's shaping up, and you got Trent Thornton pretty much penciled in there, and Thornton has really turned it on lately. I've been very impressed with him. He cemented himself into the 2020 rotation and for the rest of this year. And then you got Veraki, as I said, so you got two figured out right there. Aaron Sanchez, I don't know what you're going to do with him because it's only seeming to get worse. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I think they would love to make him a high leverage reliever, if not a closer, but. It's a whole thing with Scott Boris that you're going to have to play with that fire there, and he probably won't allow that to happen. Who knows? But sure, so you got three guys penciled in right there, and then Shoemaker is still under contract, and you got to think he gets a fourth spot. But if you got guys like Logue and Nate Pearson, TJ Zoic down in Buffalo, still guys like Sean Reed Foley, and a bunch of others, Jacob Wagas pack, the rotation isn't in that bad of a shape when you look at things in 2020, which is why I wouldn't be so heartbroken if Marcus Stroman is dealt this trade deadline because you do have arms in your system that you're going to have to test the waters with next year as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I I love the optimism when it comes to to the pitching side of the of the of the Blue Jays, but you know, looking at 2020, that's when things get really iffy for me. Um, I'm not really confident that they have enough in the system right now to really solidify that. Um, I haven't seen enough from players like, let's just say, a Sean Reed Um The stuff is there. The velocity is there, but the control isn't. And I don't know that that's something that can be honed and taught. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to be someone that you can eventually slide into the rotation to be someone that can maybe be a part of the back end. But I just I don't see it happening, especially if they do trade Strowman. You're banking. And thankfully, with Shoemaker, it's only an ACL injury, so there's nothing going on with his upper body. It's fine. Like it, he should still remain consistent. Um, but other than that, like Thornton, yeah, you're right. He's 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 been proving himself to be part uh, an integral part of the rotation. But I don't know. Can we trust Barucki? Like, is that something that I really want to throw my hat into and be like, hey, you're definitely going to be part of this rotation long term? I don't know, man. Like, the rotation 
is definitely something that I'm, my confidence is very low on. It's going to be an interesting conversation going forward with all those wild cards with the Sanchez's and the. I I think Barucky comes back and figures it out, but until that's proven, Adam, I'm kind of in the ballpark like you. You got to count as he's not there, right? Right. So, but I think yeah, there is some interesting arms that make this fun. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely think that Barucky's injury was way more serious. Obviously, it's way more serious than it was, and it's an arm issue too. So. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't even think of that, and I do agree. It is a lot to hedge your bets to a fully healthy Ryan Barucki for next year, especially if he's already dealing with arm injuries and has in the past, too, down in the minor league. So you got to rely on somebody else who I'm not going to call him injury-prone, but he's had some arm issues already. So that's a lot to ride on Ryan Barucki's shoulders for next year as well. All right, fellas. I think we've beaten the minor league thing to uh, pulp here, unless we want to talk Bo Bichette and do some offensive stuff with what's going on in Buffalo here. Bichette and Alford have been pretty much on fire. I don't know if you guys have seen the highlights or not, but Bo Bichette had a 4-for-4 four four performance the other day. It has looked very impressive. Aren't the Bisons 9-1 and one in their last 10 games? And it's all because of the offense. And the pitching has actually been somewhat decent down in Buffalo. It's exciting, man. I mean, as I was saying before we started recording, I do want to get down to Buffalo for a game at Salem Field before Bo Bichette gets called up here because he's the obviously the big draw to go see a Bison's game. But, yeah, I mean, it's great seeing him make that adjustment because other than the injury, he did start a little bit slow, and he did that last year when he got to double-A as well. So it gives me confidence that when he does get to the big league level, he probably will have an extended struggle, kind of like Vladdy did when he first got here. But he'll make those adjustments, and he's proving to be a very, very good hitter and somebody who will contribute quite consistently at the big league level. Yeah, I agree. I think that right now, it's, I know in the beginning of the year, and especially in the offseason, I thought that they were going to do the whole service time with Bo Bichette in, in the same uh, vein that they uh, manipulated it or however you want to look at it or term it um, with Vladimir Guerrero. But looking at the production that Bo Bichette is uh, exhibiting, you you have to. You you can't keep this kid down in AAA for the remainder of the year. He at least, bringing it back to September call-ups, at least has to be a September call-up. The problem is, is that the infield positions right now for the Blue Jays are kind of just full. And there's, there's not really a, a clear for him. But with production like this, what other choice that the Blue Jays have? The difference here is right now, if you want to make a late-season run to have some momentum in the next season or not, and I don't think the team makes that decision lightly. And if they do, <laughs> then Boba Shett's going to be in the Myers the rest of the season. But wouldn't it be nice, guys, to do something similar to what the Yankees did a few years ago and just truck through September with a very good lineup that sports Boba Shett, Vladimir Guerrero, Kevin Biggio, everybody. That is probably your starting lineup for next season. You know what you're getting yeah. if you come to opening day 2020 with the Toronto Blue Jays if you have that little steamroll at the end of the season. I completely agree. And if you get that momentum going, I think they're going to start to put themselves on the map as a team to look out for potentially in 2020. Obviously, as we've discussed already, that a lot of that's riding on the state of the pitching rotation, which is still in flux. But if you get Bichette up here and he hits pretty consistently at the big league level. And you have Vlad, you have Danny Jansen, who obviously hasn't hit very much, but has been very good defensively. You got Rowdy, who's been hot lately, Lourdes Gurriel. You're looking at six to seven different positions around the diamond, Randall Gritchick included, because he's under uh, under club control now for the next five years. 
you're looking at seven, maybe even upwards of eight different areas with young talent that will be good to go for 2020. And that's only going to benefit them long term because they've got their first full big league season struggles out of the way. They're ready to go offensively. I think we'll see a much better offensive team in 2020. You have to hope. You have to hope it happens. And there's no doubt in my mind that that part of the uh, the equation for the Blue Jays will click because these look. I know there's a huge jump in terms of talent and um, and, and opposition from AAA to the majors. It's huge, it, and that shouldn't be understated. However, when you have kids that have been playing together for as long as they have, especially like the the foursome of Vlad, Bajo, uh, Bichette, and Rowdy, you have those kids that core playing together for as long as they have they were pretty much bred to win right and they are part of this winning culture that has been established in the minor leagues throughout the vast majority of their career there's there some of them that being rowdy and Kevin and vladimir they're seeing like some some downfalls right now in experiencing that with the Jays, which i think will humble them but once the those four and the rest of the group click especially in the future i think offensively this team is going to be dangerous Honestly, I think even bringing Boba Shett up into that group will light a fire under all of them because when you watch them play in the minor leagues, they feed off of each other immensely. And this is the same thing that we saw with Kevin Biggio hitting his first home run with Vladdy and Lourdes jumping like they had springs on their uh, under their asses on the bench yeah. and celebrating with him. You know, it's just that, that's how fast they got up. And those are the kind of things I think that they need in this dugout right now, especially to finish the season. And if that is going to be your core, which probably amongst this conversation includes Lawyers Gurriel Jr. in that foursome, now five, that's a hell of a core in an offense. That's a two, three, four, five, six in a lineup that I'd have trouble getting through if I was a major league pitcher. Yeah. Right. I mean, you go around you go around the diamond in terms of guys you think will be solid and solidified for the opening day roster in 2020. You have J- Jansen at catcher. Rowdy's probably going to play first. Maybe Smoke if he's around post-deadline and they decide to extend him. Then second base is still up for grabs, but that's fine. It's not a position that they need to figure out right away. Then you got shortstop with Bo, third base Vlad, left field Lourdes Gurriel, right field Randall Gritchick. Center field still up for grabs, hopefully Anthony Offord or Teoscar Hernandez, who hasn't looked terrible out there, or Jonathan Davis comes up. You're looking at almost a full, solid nine guys who will be penciled in and they're young, and they'll all grow together. So it is exciting, and that seems to be pretty close to being figured out. So they got to get the rotation figured out for 2020 and 2021 as well. So yeah, gentlemen. for sure. And you might like. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, god, Adam, you got. Something. I was going to say you might you might see something in similar vein quicker. Like I know I said that I was I was thinking that the the front office might pull the service time thing with Bo Bichette, but. This trade deadline, and I'm sure we're going to get into that later, but this trade deadline definitely has a lot riding on it. And you have some candidates on this Blue Jays squad that I think, and you had the obvious names, as we mentioned, like Stroman and maybe a Justin Smoke, as you just mentioned, Brendan, but there are other candidates on this team that are cheap and that are producing that aren't part of the long-term future for the Blue Jays. And I'm thinking, looking at like an Eric Sogard or Freddie Galvez. If one of those or both of them go and are traded for assets for the future, you're going to see a Bobochette come up here sooner rather than later. And that wouldn't shock me at all. It's like you read that right on my mind. That's where I was going, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <you>, Master. <laughs> ah, my brains. So as far as all those guys go, 
how impressed are you guys with the fact that Loris Gurriel Jr. over the last 30 games has more or less just ran away with a job in left field? Last 30 games, he's batting 327 with 19 RBIs, 10 home runs. That I would, if that's even more than I expected from him, you know, coming into the season after his good, good performance in most of the season last year. So. Just let me weigh in on let's weigh in on that, guys, because he's just like I said, I, I'm shocked that he's stealing this job. Yeah, and throw in five outfield assists in those last 30 games as well. He's looked so comfortable in left field, and that's obviously going to be a key. And you know what? If he's a mainstay in left field, and you can play him at short or third or second in a pinch, you're starting to look at that super utility guy they thought they would get with Lourdes Gurriel. So. Yeah, he's looked very comfortable out there, and every team needs that surprise to come up and steal a job when you're in a state of transition like this roster. And if Gurriel continues to finish the season strong, he's your left fielder on opening day in 2020, and he has completely stolen that job from Billy McKinney and from Teoscar Hernandez, both of who spent time down in AAA. So, yeah, the fact that Lourdes Gurriel seems to have found a position where he can play the majority of the games and looking comfortable and hitting and just looks all around very, very good. It's uh, it's great. You have left field solved as far as I'm concerned heading into 2020. It's, it's one of those things that you love these happy little accidents, right? Because, yes, they, they wanted him to be uh, a super utility type player, but I don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you guys did, then I apologize, but I don't know that anybody really thought that he would fit like a glove in left field as much as he has. Um, I have to say that his the way he's approaching it is a little awkward. It's, it's definitely unconventional. It's not like a traditional outfielder. He, he, there's still adjustments that he needs to make out there, and it's still a relatively new position for him. But I think the biggest thing is the confidence. Right? He's confident in the position, and that defensive confidence when he's accomplishing these, these plays in the outfield is bleeding over to the offensive side. And I think that's why he's beginning to fall into this groove and to be beginning to get a lot more comfortable in himself as a player. So having said that, I think that if Lefty, if this is going to work out, great. Keep him there. Keep him there for as long as possible. I don't care if it looks awkward at times. I don't care if it doesn't look like the traditional aspect of an outfielder should. Just leave him there. And it's working, fine. We have that position figured out. I'm cool with it. Yeah, in my opinion, I, if I'm Charlie Montoya right now, I don't even try throwing any other positions at him. He Every day he's going to be penciled in in left field for the rest of the season unless he's having an off day or DHing. I am not messing with that one <laughs> second, guys. And I think it's funny because my dad made this uh, comment recently about when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is finally going to click. And it's from the Matrix, you know, when Neo figures things out, he was talking, he goes, it's like there's a difference between walking the walk and then knowing about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so now Loris Gurriel Jr. knows that he's a Major League Baseball player, and he's the confidence is everywhere. Like you said, Adam, he, it's on the outfield, it's in the in the batter's box. He's doing everything a, a good Major League Baseball player should be doing. Right, right. So, so on that note, guys, it's almost midseason here, or the unofficial midseason of the All Star break. Who is your all-star? And I'm going to start with you, Adam Corsair, seeing you're our guest. Who do you think actually makes the all-star team on this, what has been a hot padre of weird things all season? Uh, assuming he's still here, it's got to be Stroman. 
Um, he seems like the most likely candidate to be there. Um, I don't know that I've seen enough on the offensive side on a consistent basis to really uh, shoo-in someone. But, like, I don't know. I'm kind of... I kind of would like to see an Eric Silver become, <laughs> become an offensive uh, Yeah, like, I, it, wouldn't, it really wouldn't shock me and it'd be a wonderful surprise. But I think the only shoe in that you have, maybe you have two. Maybe if Giles gets in there, fine. But you definitely, I, I definitely can see a Stroman get in there. Second would be Giles, and I guess third would be Silver. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think it'd be Stroman. Uh, and typically when you're this bad, you only get one all-star representative for your team. Last year was Jay Happ on a team that wasn't very good either. But yeah, Ken Giles is definitely somebody who could be considered for that role as well in the bullpen. And you go look at his stats, and you look past the 12 saves because he just hasn't had a chance to close out many games this year, and he is the fourth most valuable reliever in the major leagues with a 1.4 F4. He only trails Brad Hand at 1.6 for American League believers. So Ken Giles could be close to a shoe-in, but considering the fact that usually teams that are this bad only get one representative at the All-Star game, I agree with Adam. I'm going to go with Stroman as well. I'm just going to say it because I have to have it. I need to see Eric Sogard in an All-Star game uniform. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I've been reading... Ryan Francesco's Twitter all the time because we go back and forth all the time on Twitter. The fact that this is Eric Sogard's team, I want to see it happen. <laughs> For sure, for sure. And as far as offensive candidates go, I feel like he's the most the most uh, deserving of it. Not to mention, what a cool story that would be. So it would be so cool, and you need that one surprise in a year. And Eric Sogard has definitely been that. Nobody saw this coming, especially the power. I can't believe he already has what eight home runs. Yep. that's double. I'm pretty sure his career high, if not a little bit more than double. So yeah, it would be really cool to see Sogard as the All Star representative. It's almost triple his career high. So his career high three. <laughs> Way to go on the math. I told you there's a reason you're my yeah. stat guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness I could figure that out because math definitely wasn't my strong suit in school. <laughs> I do numbers. <laughs> so, but maybe that, like I said, that's just me. I want to see some nerd power on, uh, you know, batting practice day and whatnot and just see what he does. And we got the main guy in the home run derby in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but in all reality, he's not the team's all-star. He's there for the show. And, fellas, I want to get your opinion. As much as I want to be excited about Vlad Jr. being in this home run derby, I'm also scared to shit. <laughs> so, I don't like it. No, sir, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Like it, This kid is already starting to adjust to major league hitting, and it's just not getting into a groove by any means but he definitely he looks a lot more comfortable than he did when he first came up and if you're going to put him in the home well if he's putting himself i guess in the home run derby and he's gonna get these lobs thrown to him i'm worried that this is going to screw with this timing i think it's a little too soon i if i was the if i was montoya rather or his agent i would say you might want to hold off a year just get your feet wet in the major leagues right now don't mess up your timing you're still adjusting you're still, you know, adhering to this major league pitching. Don't mess with anything. You're still learning. Um, I just think the timing is terrible. You know what? I'm going to go the complete opposite. I love it. And the only reason I do is because how often he absolutely destroys baseballs. I'm pretty sure he's still the only guy to have two or more hits at 115 miles per hour off the bat this year. 
uh, according to StatCast. So you throw him in an all-star derby where he's getting meatballs to hit, it's going to be a spectacle. So uh, personally, I'm stoked to see him in the all-star, in the home run derby. So it's going to be a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the fine middle between it because I want to see it. I really think he could run away with this thing in the in the uh, home run derby a la Giancarlo Stanton a few years ago when he wasn't even an all-star. I... But then I like I can just read 100% what Adam's saying, that the fact that he's finally starting to get things going a little bit. In the last 15 games, his batting average is 271. Before that, it was a barely 200. And I know that because I have him on my, all three of my fantasy baseball teams. <laughs> so, um, But for the sake of the show, guys, right now his average exit velocity on this is, you know, is 90, 90 miles an hour and he's averaging 427 feet on his home runs at a mere launch angle of 6 degrees. <laughs> That's insane. What the hell is he going to do in a home run derby? He's just going to truck everything in Cleveland. I feel sorry for that big wall in left field. <laughs> kind of makes me want to go and spend the money to watch that in person. It's going to be a lot of money, but Cleveland's, what, four hours away? Even closer for you, Craig? So that'd be fun Actually, to it's watch. Exactly yeah, gonna... yeah okay, there you go. So it's you know it's going to be really cool, uh, but yeah, I, I I do agree, and we saw this firsthand when Alex Rios was in the All Star Home Run Derby, and I believe it was 2007. The guy was absolutely yeah. raking at the plate, got into the Home Run Derby, and I think part of it was due to I think that same year was his staff infection, so maybe part of it was injury related. But yeah, after the All Star Home Run Derby, he looked dreadful at the plate. So we've seen it firsthand, so I definitely understand the. Uh, the level of caution with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in there. But regardless, I think it should be fun. I'm going to bet that he's going to hit one at least 480. <laughs> I'd say it's a safe bet. <laughs> but this but is don't a get me wrong. I, I, do think, I do think that it's going to be fun to watch, for sure. Like, it's going to be entertaining. Because I think this is the type of hitter that if you throw some meatballs at him, he's going to just kill him. It's going to be Placata all day. It's just all day that's what it's going to be. He may even win it. But the thing is, is that is that worth the the rest of the year? I know they're not competing. I know it doesn't really matter for the team in terms of winning games, but it definitely matters for him and his confidence moving forward. Again, I, I get the the immediacy of the thrill. I get it, but I'm looking more long term. I, I just I, he's so valuable and he's like precious cargo here. I just don't want to see anything ruining this kid at all. Yeah, they're already selling out his shirts. <laughs> You know, it's like, come on, this is the yeah. best year franchise for the next decade. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you 100%, Adam. But it is going to be fun to watch. And this is a guy that's been playing in home run derby since he was, like, knee-high to a duck. You know, so I'm not a, not thinking the spotlight's going to completely hinder him or anything. But, Adam, like you were saying, the timing thing, I just hope that he has, like, a completely different swing for home run derbies or something like that, and he just does that. <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about his timing as much. He just serves up BP fastballs all day. Just don't overswing and injure yourself because that would be the one legit concern I have. If you swing way too hard, you never know. You could tweak an oblique or something like that, and oblique injuries are very tough to uh, rehab from. So that'd be my one biggest concern. Yeah, exactly. So he's definitely going to have to be careful to not overswing and injure himself. Guy, why'd you have to say it? (laughs) It's a concern, man. It is. (laughs) Knock on desk, that doesn't happen. I beat you to it, Mr. Corsair. (laughs) Yeah, and I just talked on mine, too. <laughs> so there, we got all three of us. There you go. Uh, so, 
in the midst of that, guys, there is something I was hoping that I, we could touch on here, and I don't know if you saw the article on uh, Sportsnet the other day, but apparently the Blue Jays are doing something a little different as far as BP is concerned, and maybe getting away from some of this idea of the meatballs that you would serve up for a home run derby. The Blue Jays have actually hired two ex-major league pitchers, or minor league guys, whichever way you want to call it, quadruple-A players, to be the club, the club's primary pitchers for batting practice. And one of the guys they hired was actually former Blue Jay Zach Stewart. I think this is kind of interesting because you're not just serving up meatballs all of a sudden. You have major league at one time quality arms throwing batting practice. Does this give the Blue Jays an edge or is this something just worse than the trying in the midst of a dying season, fellas? Uh, I, I just... I, I love the the angles here. I love when the, the the team can think of something new and it's sort of innovative. But I, I don't know. I, I must admit that I haven't seen footage of it. So I don't know if they're actually serving up pitches that are like challenging and not just meatballs. But if they're just meatballs, what is the difference? Like, what are we really dealing with here? Is this sort of, sort of like just lip service and something that sounds cool? Or is it something that's actually challenging them and holding them a lot quicker before a game to get them more ready and primed for a game time? I don't know. So if they're, if they're serving up challenging pitches, then great. I think they're utilizing it correctly. But if they're doing nothing different than whatever bench coach is tossing them up some, some batting practice throws, I just don't see the point. So as far yeah, as the angle goes, Adam, I, I'll give you guys, I should have maybe led this in a little bit. The idea <laughs> is that they're going to throw 20 to 30 pitches to two guys in the everyday lineup instead of them taking regular batting practice that day and the idea is that they're seeing minor league level at least pitching instead of the regular everyday 60 mile an hour tosses got it so it's a rotation thing i'm interested to see that in action i think i'm kind of along the lines of you there adam I want to see what it looks like first before making any judgments on it. It definitely sounds cool, and maybe it's something that other teams will adopt if it's successful, but uh, my guess is that they'll get a steady mix of fastballs located in different quadrants of the zone, probably get some off-speed stuff. So, hey, I mean, you might as well give it a try in a season where you're obviously not competing and it's a lost season by now. But, yeah, I mean, if they're just going up there and throwing regular fastballs down the middle, which I'm guessing won't be the case, then, yeah, I don't see the difference. But it could work. I mean, you might as well try. Uh, the one thing I will give them credit for is they're trying to be innovative and, and help get guys a competitive advantage that other teams don't have yet. So i got to give you the wonderful tidbit from Shai De- Davidi that actually wrote this article that I was pulling this information from. This came from a conversation with Ross Atkins and Dante Bichette. Apparently Dante Bichette played <laughs> in Japan from time to time. And apparently that's what they do all the time in Japanese baseball. They actually face, for batting practice, certain guys every day go out and see, you know, one of the pitchers. And that's where they throw their bullpen, basically, instead of throwing it in a bullpen. So similar concept, maybe tweaked a little bit. But I just think it's hilarious that this came from six degrees from Boba Shet, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it certainly can't hurt. That's, that's the thing. It definitely can't hurt. Um, it, and if it helps them hit better and you know improves their timing, sure, it, I, I love it. And it's it's especially cool to see the Blue Jays do it first. And if it's something that catches on, 
And that is something that we as Blue Jays fans can be like, yeah, but we did that first, man. We were the innovators of it. And it's cool to hang your head on. <laughs> Worst case scenario, we might be finally getting something valuable out of Zach Stewart. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, so I, I couldn't help it. Zing. <laughs> yeah. So another interesting topic came up in the last week, guys, and I think this one is that could be good for the Blue Jays. It could be bad. It could be a little bit all over the place. The Tampa Bay Rays are apparently on the possible fence for being a two-city Major League Baseball team. I thought this was one of the weirdest things I've heard in Major League Baseball news in a long time. And yes, it is obviously a theory that this could happen. But in all reality, I don't care. If it gets more Major League Baseball back in Montreal as even a 50-50 split, I think this is a win for baseball, fellas. But I'll let you weigh in. Yeah, I saw today that... uh... They were asking, I forget his name, I think it's Steinberg uh, or whatever his name is, um, for the Rays owner. And he basically admitted that long-term baseball in Tampa just isn't going to work, especially in St. Petersburg, with how few people they draw and how little money they have available to them. I just don't understand, and I think we touched upon this last week briefly, or even I was talking to somebody about it. How are you going to convince free agents to sign with you if you're a two-city team? You're going to have to own property in Tampa. You're going to have to own property in Montreal and relocate your families for half the season or maybe not. There's a whole bunch of logistics that just don't make sense to me, especially the fact that to make this work, both cities need new stadiums. If it was going to be Montreal needing a new stadium to build a new one and get out of Olympic Stadium and transition the Rays from Tampa to Montreal full term without having to build a new one in Tampa, then it makes all the sense in the world to me. Because you're not you're not relocating them right away. It's a soft transition out of Tampa, but there's so many logistical hurdles. I think they're going to have to figure out the first being how are you going to get free agents to sign with you when you have to play in two different cities on two different properties. But then also the fact that both cities need to build new stadiums just makes no sense to me. If you're building a new one in Tampa, just keep them there because it's probably a better location closer to downtown Tampa than it would be in St. Petersburg. With with traffic, I've done that drive is about an hour to get from downtown Tampa to St. Petersburg. So it doesn't make any sense from that standpoint either. For sure. But like, when you think about it, how many people, how many players want to sign with Tampa, say, right now? Like, they don't really pull in a lot of free agents as it is, so I don't really see that as a huge loss. I think uh, there, should, there could be a drop-off from the huge numbers that they have already. But, like, I don't know. Like, it, I've been getting conflicting reports about this, and I think, Craig, you actually commented on the tweet that I retweeted. Um, John Romano tweeted that it, the plans just, I don't know if it's, they're dead already, they're not going to happen, and the owner of the race is just pleading for it to happen, or more saying theoretically it should happen, because uh, I guess they, the Rays have a user agreement with the mayor of St. Petersburg um, that says he's not going to grant them permission to go to Montreal. And they have an agreement with St. Petersburg, St. Pete until 2027. So I don't see this happening in the near term, if at all. And if that's the case, then this deal might be dead already. Yeah, Adam, I don't know if either of you guys saw the tweet that I put out that basically was in response to the mayor of St. Petersburg saying there will always be raised baseball in St. Pete. And I tweeted mm-hmm. right back to that article that was on his tweet and whatnot and basically said, clearly this guy has not seen the plot of Major League. Right, that was in response. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
I just couldn't imagine. It's like literally, and then I had the image of Bob Uecker going, and the Indians take the field, and he's holding the microphone out, and you hear like crickets. <laughs> so I just I just can't believe I've been in that ballpark and honestly I think the ballpark does it's definitely not a modern baseball park by any means but it's not a bad place to go see a baseball game but the fact is like Brendan nailed that the fact that regular Tampa Bay residents have a hard time getting over the Sunset Highway to get to the stinking ballpark just to have a good night with the family and have a few beers and some hot dogs. It just is really ridiculous to go drive an hour for something that's literally five feet in, you know, miles, <laughs> you know, it's just insane. Yeah. So, but the fact yeah, on the, the flip the, side though, they might be able to get some really damn good money from the thirsty baseball fans in Montreal. And I think that is where this decision is. And then you get almost like pit the two cities against each other to who wants baseball more. And it might get creative. I just, yeah, I saw a few tweets today, one from uh, Mark Popkin that I just pulled up. He's the Rays beat guy for Tampa Bay Times. And he said that uh, Bronfman, I think Stephen Bronfman's his name, he's the main guy trying to get baseball back in Montreal. Apparently Sternberg was approached by Bronfman a few times about relocating the team completely or selling it, and he dismissed both ideas. So if you're trying, if you're Major League Baseball and you wanted to capitalize on Bronfman and the other guys that are trying to bring baseball back to Montreal, they've talked about expansion for years. Why not just grant Montreal if they have plans to build a new stadium, which I believe is already in the cards. I believe, I believe they have the land pretty much before this chat. chat. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They pretty much confirmed where the new stadium in Montreal will be built. Why not just grant Montreal a team? Because you know that ownership will be stable, brand new ballpark. And then you can look to expand to Portland, which they've discussed, or Charlotte, which would be a great uh, location for a new baseball team. And then realign the divisions to do what the NFL does when you have four divisions of four teams in each conference or each league. So if this goes, if this doesn't go through, at least it's shown Major League Baseball, that, hey, Montreal's ready. you got to grant them a team, and they're ready to go. They'll have the stadium ready for whenever you grant that franchise, and then you can look into your, 32, your 32nd market. I think it's funny you brought up that Charlotte one. Is I've been to a Charlotte Knights baseball game, and that is the most excited freaking AAA ballpark I've ever been in my life. They sell it out almost that's every damn night. It's insane. That stadium is gorgeous. That. Yeah. That stadium is gorgeous. I haven't been there. I've seen so many pictures, but the backdrop of downtown Charlotte, it's, it's honestly probably a top destination for baseball fans to go catch a minor league game at. It looks fantastic. Adam, got anything? <laughs> uh, I was just going to say there's like plenty of other uh, places that you can expand to as well. Like I'm, I know Nashville is something that has been whispered out there as a, as a nice destination for baseball. Um, I want to say for some reason they want they're thinking about expanding to Vegas too. I don't really see that working out. I think that's more of like the the lights and the name aspect. I just don't see that being a long term destination. But in in terms of Montreal, they have been proving for years. I'm talking years that they are hungry for a team. I, I think it's still like an annual thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. An annual thing for them to have like Expo Day unofficially at Blue Jays uh, game home games. Like, they'll pick one day of the year, like, this, this Expos fan group will take over the stadium or a portion of the, the Rogers Center and just, like, beg for a raise, I mean, uh, for Expos baseball. Um, Montreal's hungry, and I, and I do think it would be quite a sight to see to have that return, and I think that the MLB would benefit it. Like, they, they're trying to make this 
more of a global outreach, and I think Montreal is the safest bet to do that. I know it's like it's not necessarily global, but it's definitely definitely international. And when you can make your game more appealing to other portions of of the world and other portions of the continent, um, I think that can only benefit the game. Not to mention, I think out of all those towns that we were just leveraging there, guys, for possible Major League Baseball teams, I think you should know that Montreal is a safe bet at this point, right? The other ones are wild cards, yeah. kind of. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how Nashville would work. I mean, Tennessee's a pretty big baseball state from what I understand. They're obviously football first with the volunteers and whatnot, and they become hockey lately. But I, Vegas would be interesting because they would definitely need some cover or maybe a retractable roof because of how hot it gets in the summer. And Portland has been the one that I've seen the most, and I think that would be very intriguing because then you'd have the rivalry instantly with Seattle. Um, when, mm-hmm. And you would add another team to the West Coast, which I think they're looking for. But, uh, no, there's a lot of baseball markets that definitely make sense. And, uh, uh, Montreal, I think, is at the top of the list, and MLB clearly is looking at ways to get Montreal a team again if this idea has been granted by MLB to uh, explore Good deal, fellas. So, sorry everybody for the Blue Jays tangent to Montreal there for a minute, but yeah, we're going to dive back into some of this fun. (laughs) Stroman to the Yankees. Fellas, this seems like it's carrying a little weight all of a sudden, or is it just me? No, it definitely is. It's definitely uh, carrying some weight. He he pretty much has said that he would uh, love to play for them. and so, uh, Maybe not in verbatim, but he definitely said he's built for the bright lights in the city. And let's not forget, this is a New York native, right? So uh, there might be some uh, cross-pollination for him in that regard. But I do think that right now, with the way he's pitching, the Blue Jays are in a, a, they have a high amount of leverage right now. And the Yankees definitely need... Uh, some some starting pitching uh, improvement in their in their rotation. I think if right now with the Astros being a little bit injury ridden, um, now is the time to strike, and now is the time for them to get you know ahead of them and try to get that home field advantage for later on in the postseason. These are the games that sort of matter. So I do think that it would benefit the Yankees. The thing is, if I'm the Blue Jays, I'm not hesitating to say the conversation starts at Clint Frazier. Period. And if he's not on the table at all, we're done. We're done talking, and you look elsewhere. The Blue Jays definitely need to be in the driver's seat, and they can't have a return. No disrespect to Drury, no disrespect to McKinney, but they can't have a return like they got from Jay Happ. They need to be aggressive. I agree, and the one thing that scares me most guys about trading with the Yankees is they showed a graphic last night on Sportsnet about all the guys the Yankees have acquired recently on their active roster uh, via trade, and it's a lot of guys. You look around, you got Stanton, you got Happ, you got a whole bunch of guys you've acquired through trade. I don't remember the last time you could definitively say that Brian Cashman has lost a trade. So if it's right. not going to be Clint Frazier, if it's not going to be Domingo Herman, who I know Jeff Blair and even Kevin Barker today were saying could be a very intriguing option for the Blue Jays. Davey Garcia, who's in their system, is looking very good. I would be interested in him as well. But if they're not willing to part with one of those three, then yeah, I agree. You don't trade Stroman there. I still think Atlanta is going to come hard after Stroman, especially because you have the Anthopolis connection. You have Donaldson there being teammates in the past with Stroman. But also, they just sent down Mike Fultonavich, who I believe was their opening day starter, and he's dealt with injuries. Atlanta is in serious need of a starting pitcher. So I still think 
out of the teams that will push the hardest for Strowman, my bet would be a, a, would be Atlanta. And out of those two teams, Atlanta probably has the more abundance of major league ready prospects to go after for the whole, you know, what you could get in possible return, right? But if we do do this trade with the Yankees, because it is a division rival, guys, if we don't get somebody that is either on the major league roster or damn near close to it, like Clint Frazier is the good example, obviously, here, I don't think you can make this trade with him. Am I completely out of my no, mind? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. So, and not yeah, to mention, it, it, I just it, made the goof a couple of days ago that you know Clint Frazier to this trade makes perfect sense. Red hair, Canada uniforms, all red, equal awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, personal opinion. <laughs> no, and I, I look. I think. When you're dealing with a, a division rival, and I use that term lightly because right now the Blue Jays really don't have any rivals um, in the traditional sense, but when you're dealing with a, a team within your division, um, you can ask for a little bit more. And I think that you know those teams within the division expect that, right? The, the asking price that the Blue Jays theoretically would have to a Yankee may not be as expensive as the price that they would have asking for, from the Braves. Right, it, it might come down a little bit from the Braves only because they don't have to see the Braves 18 times a year, right? And I think that does play a role. It, it'd be silly if it did. So right now, what's the worst case scenario if it, um, if they don't trade Stroman? They keep him for another year. Okay, that's fine. We were just talking about how the the rotation isn't really something we're confident in moving forward, and if they keep him for one more year, they do. That's fine. But they definitely should be aggressive. They definitely should ask for a lot because this is a guy, yes, he's our number one pitcher. He's not an ace. He's just not. But if the Blue Jays can dangle him to the Yankees as if he was an ace and ask for ace-like returns, then I think they should. When it comes to a team like the Braves, maybe not. Maybe you're asking for a little bit more. But definitely against a division rival, you have to ask for the move or else you're not doing your job properly. Just I agree. Yeah. And guys, I think that actually kind of segues beautifully, and I'm going to bring this up because I was excited that we got a question. We put it out there from Jason Lee, who we've had in this show, and it, it does segue nicely, so I'm going to ask it on his behalf. I don't know if you guys saw this, but who do you guys think gets the better re- or the bigger return, sorry, Ken Giles or Marcus Stroman? And I prepped for this one, but I'm interested to see what you guys think. Got him. Oh, bullpen is such an area of need. And, like, when you have a team like the Red Sox whose bullpen is just imploding, they might be eager to give something up to have the stability of a Giles. I, I, how, many, how much more control does Giles have? Does he have another year on his contract? He does, he does yeah. Yeah. I still might want to say Stroman because you're, you're getting more innings, but I, I get – is it fair to say that I think Stroman would get more but I think Giles is a more important acquisition for a team looking to make a postseason run. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I was thinking somewhat along those lines. I think Stroman will get a good haul. And it also kind of opens up the debate, if you are trading these guys, do you go for the quantity of prospects? Do you want to get as many guys into your system as possible? Or do you try to package Stroman or Giles with somebody else, or maybe even the unthinkable, it's not so unthinkable, packaging them both together to get quality. But 
Craig, I'll let you answer that before I I'll dive into mine because I have mine prepped. <laughs> I did my research oh, fine. on this one. You know, go back to your book and figure it all out or whatever you're doing over there. <laughs> um, I, I'm kind of in the ballpark of Adam's conversation there where I do think that we're going to get probably the best prospect out of those two with Marcus Stroman just because of the value on starting pitching and what you get for a starting pitcher, especially if we do end up flipping them to the division rivalry, you know, extra tax that you get on that trade, basically. Um, I, But the other catch is, I think there could be a possible bidding war going on for Ken Giles, just because there are so many teams, like Adam mentioned, the Red Sox. We took complete advantage of that bullpen this past weekend, and that's where this conversation could go. Who could pay the most to get somebody as good and under control like Ken Giles? Yeah, and here, I'll try to keep this as succinct as possible based on what I went back and looked at. And I looked at the original haul that the Phillies got for Ken Giles, and no, this is a little different because it was an off-season trade with the Astros. But they got Vince Velasquez, Mark Appel, who at the time was number 43 on MLB's top 100 list. Vince Velasquez, he no longer qualified for uh, prospect status, but if he did, they said he would slot in at number 5 on the Phillies' top 30 list at the time, and he was re-ranked as number 69 on that. So you got two guys in the top 100 in that trade originally. Plus you got Brett Oberholzer, who didn't end up being anything. He was a veteran. It was kind of a throw-in in Thomas Eshelman. So you got four guys. I know Houston also, or sorry, Phillies also sent a few prospects back to Houston. But when you look at Stroman in terms of how he's doing right now, 304 ERA, it's great. But as a ground ball pitcher, when you look at his FIP, 371, probably a little bit more indicative of how he's actually pitched this year. But I went back and looked, guys. Last year when the Blue Jays traded Jay Happ, sure, he had a 418 ERA, but he's worth 1.9 wins. Strowman right now is worth 2.0. So just 0.1 wins more. And you only got Brandon Drury and Billy McKinney for that. And I also went back and looked at, because I'm thinking you may be able to get something like, something like a David Price return, but after I looked at it, Price, when he was acquired by the Blue Jays in 2015, was worth 4.1 wins, and he was a legitimate number one ace. Matt Boyd has turned into something pretty good, and Daniel Norris is still in their system, and they still have Jairo Labor too, the three guys that they sent over to the Detroit Tigers. So I think the return can come in between a David Price and a Jay Happ return um, in a trade for Strowman. I think the quality of prospect would be better for a Ken Giles trade because the president was there. You got two top 100 guys in a minor league system and in MLB's top 100 rankings for Ken Giles originally when he was traded from the Phillies to the Astros. Mm, that definitely, that makes a lot of sense. And I think if you're looking at a, a Giles, what you're getting is maybe some better prospects, but they might not be near major league ready as what you would get for a Stroman. And they might be at a lesser tier in terms of the uh, the ranking in the system. So it's it's sort of a give and take right now. Um, I, that's an excellent um, summary. It's it's crazy to think that that the Blue Jays, man, if they can get something like that for a Ken Giles, I think that'd be great. But I, I just fear that it's going to push the the waiting process a little bit further because I I would assume that you're probably getting at best a double-A player, maybe, and I think that's being optimistic. Yeah. So, gentlemen, I think that's um, about the best we can get on that two comparison there. 
<laughs> I'm lost for words, Brian. I tried. I'm amazed at the homework <laughs> that you did on that. What did you spend a good hour on that? <laughs> I, I I put a little bit. Of, uh, I definitely looked into it. I also looked into last year because if you look at the major league leaders right now in F4 for relievers, Brad Hand, who was traded from the Padres to the Indians last deadline. Now they also acquired Adam Simber in that trade. So person they sent Francisco Mejia over back to the Padres, who's now in their big league roster. So I'm wondering maybe in a Giles trade, if you add a reliever or maybe another piece, you could get something like a Mejia at the trade deadline who can impact your roster as soon as next year. That may be a bit of a stretch, but I looked into that as well just to see because Hand is the only reliever that's more valuable than Ken Giles right now. I think that says a lot too because the Indians were kind of into it, in it still. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing how things change from year to year. But ge- gentlemen, um, speaking of changes, over the last week we've seen obviously once again, just like usual, the good, bad, and the ugly. But this week it did end on a high note. Before this episode, as the Blue Jays actually took a series from one of the better teams in baseball in the Boston Red Sox. I know Adam Corsair, Mister. I live close to Boston, is probably foaming at the mouth with loving the idea that he yeah. had to walk into work with all his Blue Jay gear on for a change <laughs> and hold his head high. Um, tell me what you thought about that series and what your takeaways were. Game one was a little wonky, huh? That that messed with our uh, our emotions a little bit, but we kind of gave it right back at him for game two, and game three was just fun to watch. I, I look, it's fun to see the Red Sox. You know, in the beginning of the season, they're just like, they're so hyped. This team is so strong. They're going to go to the World Series, or at least in my area, that's what they're saying. Um, but seeing their bullpen, as we've already discussed, just like cough it up, especially in walks, man, I just, I love it. I, I can't get enough of it. Inject it all into my veins. Um, it gives me some, something to watch, that, you know, with this Blue Jays team that gives me confidence, right? It just, it might be a sense of false confidence and false hope in terms of like where they're end up in the end of the season, but it's still fun to see. Like this is the Boston Red Sox we beat, and you see these large crowds at Fenway sort of filter out when they lose, and we're just like, "That's right, you guys aren't real fans at all." So it just makes me really happy when the Blue Jays do beat the Red Sox because you're right. The people at my work the next day they're very quiet, and I'm just like, "That's right, a really bad Blue Jays team took two out of three. And it's great to see." I love the meltdown by Jared Carabas on Twitter after the Blue Jays came back on Saturday and then won on Sunday. I like Jared Carabas as a writer for Barstool. I think he's a decent guy. But, yeah, it was uh, fun to see them take two out of three from Boston. And you know what? The fact that their bullpen continues to cost them, they might not even make the playoffs strictly because of mm-hmm. their bullpen. If the playoffs started right now, they the Red Sox would miss. So that, again, as we kind of touched upon with Ken Giles, could make the Red Sox a very intriguing team to trade with if they want to pony up and get Ken Giles. And I would love that because a guy I used to write with at Baseball Hot Corner before I went to Jay's Journal, his name's Frank Pimentel, big Red Sox guy. At the beginning of the year, when Giles came in on that Thursday and blew the save against the Red Sox in early April, he was calling Ken Giles a hot mess and a complete joke. It would be awesome. It would be awesome to see him have to cheer for Ken Giles, and I'd be like, dude, you're calling this guy out and calling him crap, right? (laughs) So, yeah. No, the other thing that gave me joy is Ryan Brazier, who just came out of nowhere 
last year and was so important to them in the World Series is coming back down to earth. You had to call that back then that, yeah, Ryan Brazier is not very good. <laughs> so that kind of gave me yeah. joy watching him implode on the mound too. But it was fun. It was definitely fun. And it's one of the rare little moments of joy that we've had with this team in 2019. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I took away from this series um, over the weekend against the Boston Red Sox was the fact that the Blue Jays can be sneaky good. And in all reality, they weren't overwhelmingly trouncing the uh, you know World Series champs, but they scored not, outscored them for the whole series, nineteen to fifteen. Not too big a difference, but guys, that this is a team that we haven't been able to score runs all damn year, and all of a sudden we just took it to one of the best teams in baseball, and they really got to Chris Sale, who has been more or less over the last month probably best pitcher of that month it was kind of insane to see them take it to them um in the first game of the series which unfortunately they lost but they got three earned runs off of uh, chris sale and chased him after five innings that's pretty impressive fellas yeah you know uh, definitely yeah. so but i think the big thing that is that they're going to battle and they're going to try to be in these games and i think we saw that last night with the yankees games um, series opener there that um, they were down and they ended up making it a interesting uh, watch for Yankees fans by the end of that game only trailing by two runs and most of that obviously off of Freddie Galvis's grand salami but guys I think that's what this team needs to be for the rest of the season just grind every stinking pitch out and do the best you can and you see what happens when they leave it all out there on the field sometimes they get wins like this series and that's a nice way to wrap up a ser- season with what we have left is what do you guys think oh, I, 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 just, I like to see it you know like especially with last night's game against the Yankees I was watching this with my wife and we were just you know we had this again that false sense of confidence we're just like alright they're, 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 they're kind of digging in they look good and all of a sudden in the fifth inning with Aaron Sanchez you just see it kind of just like fall apart just like all right yeah this is uh this is not good at all <laughs> you know you you stay until the end of the game you see Freddie Galvis' grand slam you're just like you're within reach this is this is you know possible and of course they they don't win the game but you know even tonight's game like I don't want to yeah I don't know if anybody's probably by the time people listen to this the game will be over and you'll know the result but right now they're only down one it's only a 3-2 game, and there's still plenty of time left to come back. It, this team is resilient. The, the talent is there. The tools are there. It's just a matter of polishing it up. It's just a matter of really bringing out the best in these, in these kids and making them major league ready on a consistent and reliable basis. Once that happens, I have full faith in this team, and you're, you're right, Craig. You see it in spurts. You see it in these little flashes on this team that you, know, you, you see it, and you're just like, that's what they could be. That is exactly what we were looking for, especially in the beginning of the, in the off season. When you and I, or the three of us, actually were giving predictions as to where this Blue Jays team will finish up. At Craig, I think you said they they have the possibility of finishing at 500. That's not attainable right now by any means, especially knowing what we have and knowing the trade deadline situations that we've been discussing. But you do see these moments that this team can really burst at any time. It's just a matter of clicking it right on all cylinders. Yeah, I completely agree. Kind of took the words right out of my mouth. The series like just over with the Red Sox and a little bit from what we've seen in this Yankee series currently, even though it's still very muddy in terms of the and how clear it's coming through, you can truly see the core of this team offensively at least and what they could be as soon as next year. So 
for Blue Jays fans wanting to continue to watch this team in as bad of a season it's been, even if they don't win series, as long as they look competitive, people are stringing hits together, uh, knocking balls out of the yard, playing good defense, you can dream on 2020 being a much better season. And it's not that far reached to think that they could be a much better team as soon as next year. It's coming together. It really is. It's slow, probably slower than a lot of people would like, but that's a rebuild for you. And you will continue to see flashes of what this team could be like uh, in the very near-term future. So that's the takeaway I definitely have from the Red Sox series is that you can see in small spurts what this team could be like in a year's time or two years' time. All right, fellas, it's that time where we wrap up this thing. So, Brendan, as you remember, we've been playing kind of like a pick-to-click game for uh, who does good in the next following week. So far, you have the only win, and that's because I think you picked Vladdy (laughs) twice, (laughs) two weeks in a row. But um, so far, um, like I said, Brendan only win between me, Brendan, and our guests, Adam. So you're hoping to, you know, kick the guest uh, spot off here on this. Adam, who do you think is going to be one of the Blue Jays' top performers this coming week? All right, so we got tonight to get. We'll call tonight's game against the Yankees a wash. We have one more against the Yankees, and then we have a weekend series against the Royals. Oh, that's tasty. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Biggio. Let's go Biggio. Let, let's let's just roll the dice on here. I think Biggio is going to get into a nice little groove this weekend, and I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Let's go with that. All right, Brandon, you. I like it, and I think probably by the time we record next, he could have a second start of the week under his belt before we record. I was really impressed. I didn't get to watch much of it, but from what I did see and watching the highlights after, I was really impressed with how Trent Thornton was on Friday in Fenway Park. I'm going to go with Trent Thornton going out there and throwing a good game tomorrow, and when his next scheduled start is, I believe, the day after Canada Day uh, against the Red Sox on Tuesday, so he gets them again. Uh, I think Trent Thornton's going to put together a nice little run here. So I'm going with the pitcher, Trent Thornton. There you go. I am going to lock in Roddy Telez as my pick for this week, and I just have a strange feeling that he's going to put an exclamation point on this time where he has first base exclusivity (laughs) with Justin Smoke being uh, currently on the injured list. I think he's going to take the last little bit here on that that, um, guaranteed spot and see what he can do. We've been seeing him hit a few home runs over the past week. Why not? Penciling in Roddy Telez for Craig for next week on the picks to click. So we'll see who <laughs> comes out on top on that one, fellas. <laughs> but, Adam, as far as everything goes, this is your moment to shine, our normal, like we like you do on your show. Tell me what's going on. Well, first, thank you guys for having me on. It's great talking Blue Jays again. It's really nice to have this refresher. It's really nice to be back into the swing of things. I appreciate you uh, having me on here. Um, what do I got going on? We got Blue Jays content up the wazoo now. Um, you know, with the, with the Raptors season over, Blue Jays content will be produced on the reg for the podcast. We're doing one podcast a week at least. Um, so you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Um, stops at the six. That is spelled the number six and the letters I-X, like the cool kids up in Toronto spell it. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity uh, Brendan, happy Canada Day I probably won't talk to you before that But happy Canada Day Or as I like to call T-Stay Day Because Kawhi yeah. Leonard will resign on day. <laughs> and uh, guys, once again, it's been a pleasure Thanks for having me on it's always yeah, a Thanks Adam and a, happy, and a happy Canada Day to you both Honorary Canadians as well And uh, <laughs> Craig, I know we'll be 
recording next week, probably before the 4th of July, but Adam, I'll send that right back to you. Have a great 4th of July next week, Thursday. But yeah, uh, as everybody knows where to find me full-time at uh, Jaybird Watching with my buddy Craig Borden uh, on social. You can follow me at Panacar37, and I will steal what Adam always says, and I love the clarity and uh, clearing that up for people. Two K's, not two N's, which is the common misspelling of my last name. But uh, I'll give you another boost here, Adam. I'm very much looking forward to listening to your Kawhi Leonard decision pod whenever that decision <laughs> comes from him. So uh, I'll give you a boost there as well. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, Brendan, you're not going to give him the good news about what we were talking about before the show, about the fun we're going to have with the week-to-week basis here on Jaybird Watching? Yeah, a little bit of a sneak peek for you guys. I will be taking over the host spot next week, and we're going to be flipping and flopping each week and each time we record between who hosts who. So next week for the first time for our listeners, I will be in the driver's seat and asking Craig the questions and feeling the discussion. So that will be fun. Yeah, we just figure we throw a curveball or an R.A. Dickey knuckleball, whichever way you want to interpret it, everybody. So, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, make sure you tune in next week as Brennan does his initial host hosting job instead of, you know, being my 50-50 co-host, color commentator here. (laughs) But we'll be all good. So until next week, Blue Jays fans, uh, this has been Jaybird watching with Adam Corsair, Brennan Panikar, and Craig Borden. Don't forget to hit us up on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasting pleasures from. And until then, let's go Blue Jays, fellas. Let's go Blue Jays. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.